Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ephesians six eighteen to 20 Welcome back. This is the latest episode of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and I am joined here in the Knox Cellar by Nathan O'Black. And remotely, it. Uh, I was thinking about this. It seems uh, it seems a little bit disingenuous even to call our guest a guest. You're uh, he's a he's a guest, kind of in in the sense of. You know, one of those really deliberate, intentional community models where you're you we're over all the time and in each other's homes and lives, uh, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, but uh, our our guest today for this episode is Dr. Andrew Sandlin, Ezra Institute Fellow and Director, President, and Founder of the Center for Cultural Leadership in uh, in Northern California. Andrew, it's a pleasure, as always, to uh, to have you with us. Well, thank you, man. I was just thinking, as you said that, Ryan, that feeling is uh, reciprocated. I, we're uh, not only ministry partners, but friends. I often uh, say that um, basically Ezra is sort of the north of the border counterpart to CCL, and CCL is the south of the border counter- counterpart to Ezra. Mm. Uh, although ready. now, of course, Ezra, as most of your listeners know, is expanding into the U.S. as well as the U.K., mm-hmm. so it's truly a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dr. Boot is fond of opposing globalism, but this is one <laughs> aspect of globalism that uh, I think we can all get behind. So it's great to be with you guys and uh, do feel very close to you as always. Well, it's uh, it's mutual, as, uh, as you mentioned. Before we get into... Uh, today's topic, I want to throw it over to Nathan just for a couple of housekeeping announcements. Mm. Yeah, and Andrew, we were talking before the recording, and it it really has been so wonderful to have you uh, as a regular teacher at our programs uh, as of late over the the course of this summer at the Runner Academy, and then at the Worldview Youth Academy. And of course, uh, we weren't able to do that for, I think, a couple of years. So it was very, very... uh, beneficial for us to have you uh, as a teacher at those programs. And um, we've got many more programs uh, coming up this fall and spring. And of course, we uh, hope to bring Andrew on as a teacher at several of those as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, we're really busy around here gearing up for a fall season of ministry and training programs. And uh, we'll be doing those now, uh, as Andrew mentioned, in, in the UK, the United States, and of course here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And really that begins next week already with uh, Joe speaking at the Wilberforce Academy. That's right. Uh, with our with our friends uh, from Christian Concern over at the UK. And uh, Ryan and I are going to try to check in with Joe next week, see if we can grab him and 
grab them for the podcast and hear about everything that's happening there at the Wilberforce Academy. Take him away from his high tea. That's right. <laughs> if he could spare a moment Whatever it is from his do. English garden. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, coming up in October is our training program, uh, the uh, Christianity and Culture Colloquium, which uh, historically has been the the pastors church and culture colloquium a, a program for pastors and church leaders but we've we've changed that this year and uh, for the very first time we're uh, offering this program uh, the first time we've offered a program period I suppose to all adults and um, that's going to be happening October 18th to the 21st in Port Colborne Ontario Canada at the Rathvon Inn a beautiful property uh, in Port Colborne on Lake Erie. And of course, Andrew, you were there with us for the Youth Academy just about a month ago. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot that we've reserved for that program. And again, it's for all adults. And uh, we've had this feedback for years, right? Ryan knows this well, is that, um, you know, people will say you've got programs for young professionals, for teenagers, for church leaders, but what is there, you know, what is there for me, the the accountant or the electrician or the truck driver. So that's that's what we're trying to do here, provide a mm -hmm. program that anyone can attend. And it's a three-day program. Uh, it's, uh, it's an introduction to Christian worldview and cultural ap apologetics. And uh, again, um, open to anyone. So if this is of interest to you, if you've been interested in our training programs for some time, but you haven't been of the demographic that we're, we're looking at for the program, this, uh, this is a program you would for sure be interested in. So you can learn uh, a little bit more about the program or register if you go to EzraInstitute.com. And uh, yeah, and then after that, Joe's going to be speaking a whole lot in the United States. I know he'll be speaking with uh, Andrew at ReformCon uh, in Phoenix uh, I believe that's at the end of October. That's right. So there's a lot going on here in the fall. We're excited about all of it. And of course, uh, bringing us back to Andrew, excited to do a lot of it with, uh, with him on board as uh, one of our senior fellows. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Nate. Well, Andrew, one of the, uh, one of the prompts for uh, calling you calling on you for this week is I know that, uh, one of one of the subjects that is uh, very close to your heart, something that you uh, you teach and speak on and have written on, uh, is the topic of prayer, and that uh, that is where we're going today by the grace of God. And we've had uh, we've had a listener actually uh, write in on this question, uh, and this this is not an uncommon question, but uh, it was one that was specifically voiced, so we wanted to deal with it. And the, uh, the question, the comment here is, prayer is something that I've always struggled to be consistent with. Could you spend some time talking about the why and the how of prayer? Andrew, why don't, we, uh, why don't you start with that? Um, th why is it that uh, this particular discipline of the Christian life, it's, uh, it's common to hear people say that, uh, that they struggle with it? Yeah, first, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm not sure that you could have chosen a more important topic, Ryan, in today's present situation. Hmm. It's an excellent question. Uh, boiling it down, we could ask, why is prayer so hard? Hmm. And uh, there are a couple of answers. One obvious one, of course, is that 
the great enemy of our souls, Satan, has a vested interest in consistently discouraging and disincentivizing prayer. Uh, if we do not have a, a principled commitment to intentional prayer, intentional times of praying, and praying throughout the day, as is indicated in the opening text that you read, Ryan, if we don't have that, Satan will always help lead us into a life of busyness in which we're almost mm. never praying, mm. except at meals or perhaps at church and on formal occasions. So that's one reason. Uh, a second reason for good Christians, and I'm speaking to those of you that really do love the Lord and want to be people of prayer, is that we often lack a sense, a palpable sense of the presence of God. Uh, God seems to be very far away from us. I mean, we obviously can't see him. Uh, we can see our house. We can see the rooms in our house. We can see our work. We can see our phones. We can see our TV and our computer screens, but we can't see God. And because of that, he sort of seems far away from us. Mm. And, of course, communicating with someone we can't see is difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, for those of you listening, it's interesting that uh, Ryan said we're not – we would prefer not simply to be on the phone, but actually, as we're recording this, to see one another, though I'm on the West Coast. My friends there are in Ontario. He knows the great value, even though if we're not in person, to see one another. So there's nothing at all unbiblical about that. But, of course, God can't be seen, except, of course, in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But when we pray, even Christ is not here. He's ascended to heaven. So that, of course, makes it difficult. And then, Ryan, I'd say that there's also a third problem, and that is many Christians uh, have the idea that prayer should be the consequence or result of a sort of subjective piety. And their attitude is basically, well, I don't really feel like praying, and it would be hypocritical of me to call on God because I feel he's far away. I don't really care about praying, and how would he accept me? I need to really get into a good attitude of prayer, and I need to have... Uh, a devoted heart and feel close to the Lord, and then I can really be effective at praying. But I think according to the Word of God, that really has the sequence just backwards. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, uh, prayer is a command. Uh, it certainly is a delight, but I must say that when I get up this morning, uh, I didn't really feel like praying. In fact, my first carnal thought was, Oh, I've got so much to do today. I think I'll just spend a, you know, a couple of minutes in praying and move on. And then, of course, I caught myself knowing that that's not right. And so I sat down and picked up my prayer list. I do have a prayer list. I said, I need to pray. So prayer is a spiritual discipline. That's not a term that we hear all that much today. But prayer is a godly habit. It's a discipline. Uh, but a lot of people have the idea that, well, I need to feel close to God, and then I will pray. When actually, according to the Word, the more we pray and pray from a sincere heart, the closer we will feel to God, and we'll have this objective experience of prayer. So I think those are three main reasons uh, that most people find it difficult to pray today. Hmm. Well, and I know, Andrew, you've uh, spoken on this at length, but another issue uh, and I'm certainly looking at my own heart as I share this, but often an issue can be unbelief in that occasionally we don't expect that God will answer the prayers. We don't 
prayer, uh, pray expectantly, which I know you've taught on. And I wonder if you can share a bit about that. Mm. My, that's a fourth one and a really uh, important one, Nathan. Yes. Uh, so in the Bible, <laughs> uh, faith is vital. In fact, in Paul's famous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, faith is just right behind love as just a central aspect of Christianity and the Christian faith, the faith they're used objectively, of course. Uh, if we lack faith or weaken faith, our Christian expression, our Christian life will be weak. That's all there is to it. Hmm. Uh, the greater we grow in faith, the greater Christians we will be. It's not possible to grow closer to the Lord, closer in obedience, more zealous for the Lord without greater faith. And now as it relates to prayer, this is vital. <laughs> it's hmm. interesting in Hebrews chapter 11, that great uh, chapter about faith, Scripture says, uh, he that comes to God must believe that he is. Well, of course, that's obviously true. We must believe in God to pray. But many people sort of negate or forget about the second part, and that he's the rewarder of those that deep, uh, diligently seek him. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to seek after God. We have to believe that the God that we seek after will reward those who seek after him. And that's where we often fail. And I want to say this, and I point this out in my little book that you guys know about, uh, Prayer Changes Things. This really is a fundamental problem because in the Bible, it's remarkable how many promises that God makes to those who will pray with a simple, sincere heart. And um, I think the fact that today, particularly in the last hundred years, uh, there has been such a decline in preaching and emphasis mm. on prayer and an actual prayer and prayer meetings. Um, I don't think that is just an example of the general apostasy of the time. Uh, let's compare, for instance, the 19th century in England, the Victorian era, times of revival in the U.S., despite, of course, despite, of course apostasy. There tended to be a strong evangelical Bible-believing emphasis on prayer. People were writing about it. People were preaching about it. There were prayer meetings all the time. And it launched the greatest missionary age just about, and this is particularly true in the UK, uh, in the history of the church. And yet it seems as in the 20th century, as prayer declined, <laughs> the kingdom of God kind of slowed down. Now, we know the kingdom of God will advance in time and history, but the Bible doesn't promise that we'll always uh uh, advance equally with equal fervor. It is dependent uh, from our perspective on our prayer and obedience. And part of the reason it hasn't in the twenty uh, in the twenty first century is because we don't really believe the promises of the Word of God. Hmm. Now think about this: those promises are remarkably daring in the Bible. Remarkably daring, such that whatever you pray for, you uh, if you believe, you will receive. And so many Christians have this attitude. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible, and I believe it, but I prayed a couple of times, and I didn't get my prayer answered, so I'm just kind of going to sit back and just hope God will do what he's going to do, and I'll just try to obey in general, but I'm not going to ask God to do great things. Right. Now, we need to come out and say what that is. Hmm. That actually is unbelief. Hmm. That is unbelief, and it's a sin. According to the word of God, we need to be praying and praying all the time for God to do great and mighty things because he has promised to do that. Now, it's interesting when people pray and don't get answers to prayer, guys. Uh, the first uh, culprit in this is that, well, God's not answering prayers like that today, or apparently that is not really for me, or 
prayer is a gift other people have, rather than saying that they might have failed. And uh, because this idea has been perverted, uh, I have some dear friends in Texas I was talking to one time. They had a, a son, very faithful young man that got a very terrible illness. And there were a lot of faith healers that came and prayed, and he wasn't healed, and he died. And they were profoundly discouraged. We need to recognize that God doesn't promise to answer every single prayer that his people pray. Uh, and we can't say simply because the prayer wasn't answered. Well, obviously, that person didn't have enough faith. We can't mm, look into their heart right. and say that. Yeah. But it is true that in many cases, not all, the reason that we don't uh, get prayers answered is because we don't ask and we don't have faith. Hmm. Say, well, I don't believe that. It's to say you don't believe the Bible. And the book of James is quite clear about that. Or we ask amiss. We only want to consume things on our own lusts. Or we don't persevere in prayer. The Bible does mark out four or five different ways in which we are responsible, uh, often responsible, if we're not getting prayers answered. So rather than blame God or claim that we don't have the gift of prayer, when we're not getting prayers answered, we might want to ask, well, why is that? Is there something in me that is a failure? Right. And to say, well, I don't really want to place a guilt trip on anybody. No, we don't, but we do want them to look at the Bible hmm. and judge our attitudes. Recently, it was true. I was going well, but I was not getting prayers answered like I would have thought. And then something struck me. You know what? You have been praying with the with the zeal and with the faith that you do at other times. And that was a deep conviction. And it's true. If we pray in great faith and zeal, trusting God, it's remarkable what he will do. But in many cases, Christians don't do that. And because mm -hmm. of that, we have a very uh, a very weak and paltry church. Let me put this in another way, and then maybe we can go to another question. Uh, if we don't emphasize prayer, if it's not constantly on our minds and hearts, if it's something that's casual, then we can expect that God won't be answering a lot of prayers. Hmm. Uh, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do, but he has intentionally bound himself in covenant to actions of his people. And his attitude is often, well, if you're not interested in praying, I'm not interested in blessing you in a mighty way. Hmm. He says, if you're willing to pour yourself out in prayer before me and live in faith and walk boldly in faith and ask for very big things, then I'll do that. Because that kind of faith God honors. It's remarkable how God honors big faith. Hmm. We don't think about that, but God honors when we exercise faith in God and step out and say, God, we're trusting you to do this. It's remarkable when God does that. Uh, there's several reasons for that. One of them, and this is something we don't often think about, uh, God wants to be famous. <laughs> that sounds strange to us, because when we hear a human say that, it sounds like being celebrity. But it's quite true in the Bible. He says to Israel, ask of me this, and I want to do this. I want to do a great work with the Jews, for example, and the church, because I want my name to be famous. I want to be known among the nations. I want them to know that I am a great and sovereign God. Uh, so when God does great things in prayer, then he is extending his greatness and his glory in the earth. So to say, well, I just want to pray small anorectic prayers because I don't want to step out in faith and you know, it may sound proud or boastful. No, when we pray and get big answers to prayer, mm. God is showing his greatness in the earth, and he wants to do that. Mm. Well, and Andrew, there you mentioned how God is sovereign, and um, 
a common caveat we we often include in our prayers, I, I would say, especially in reform circles, is is if you will it, Lord. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Lord, cure my mother of cancer if it's if it's your will, if you will it. And I think we're we're often afraid to uh, interfere with God's sovereign plan, or that's how we feel during during a prayer. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a typical weakness in the Reformed world. Hmm. Uh, so Calvinists and Reformed people, and I am certainly one, have a very high view of God's sovereignty and predestination and election. Mm-hmm. And we should. The Bible is very clear about that. Unfortunately, we don't often have a very high view of God's work in history and his covenant promises to his people. Hmm. Uh, in fact, this attitude that you said there, um, Nathan, is <laughs> much more Islamic than Christian. Uh, again, uh, right, right. Yeah. Very, they will say, "We will." I'll meet you down today if Allah will. If Allah will. If Allah right. will. We'll go mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Now, it is certainly true in a generic sense. We can say that the Bible uses that term one time about those who are very presumptuous. He says, "We shouldn't say we're going to go there. We'd say if the Lord wills it." That's certainly true, and that should underlie underlie all that we do. We shouldn't arrogantly stand up and say, ten years from now, I'm going to have, to, to have accomplished this." Well, that's a form of arrogance. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, to constantly put that caveat on and say, if God wills, doesn't take into account the fact that God wills to use prayer to accomplish his purposes. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, that little caveat, actually, it sounds very pious. Right. But in the end, basically, it's denying God's covenant promises. Because again and again, God will suspend his work in the earth on his people's faith and willingness to cry out in prayer. This is true of physical healing. This is true of God's blessing events. So let me give you an example of this. So we mm-hmm. were recently, of course, there in Port Colburn, mm-hmm. Rathbon for the great, uh, the Youth War, uh, Worldview Academy, and of course, then in Western Canada uh, for the Runner Academy. Mm-hmm. Imagine had I prayed, and I didn't pray this before I left, <laughs> Lord, if it be your will, if it be your will, Please bless this event. Well, we have every reason to believe it's his will to bless the event. And that's why we should cry out for him to bless it in mighty ways. Hmm. That's amazing. When we come to other matters, though, uh, we're sort of uh, less aggressive in prayer for God to heal so-and-so. Or uh, we really are in a bad financial situation, not through our own fault. But, Lord, we really need money to help provide for our family. Somebody Hmm. says, well, that's kind of worldly. We should accept the tough situation we're in, and they don't. People do not cry out to God, hmm. saying, "Well, we don't know what God's will is." Right. But the fact is, part of the decretal will of God, His decree, is for His people to pray to ask Him to do great things, and therefore to constantly qualify our prayer with "If the Lord wills," is not to pray biblically. Now, let me give you an example of that. So. Uh, uh, Elisha is there. Elijah, they're healing. They're prepared to heal a, a a widow's son. It's interesting. So a little child dies. I won't go into the details. It was the during the time of famine. A child died, and this widow was tragic. Her her little child was taken from her, and the man of God had been with them. Notice what Eli what Elijah did not say. He did not say, "Lord, if it's your will, please heal him and raise him up." Hmm. He got on his face lay himself on the child and cried out. And in the Hebrew, it means he cried loudly to God, Lord, please. Now, if you say, well, that's not a very pious way to pray, I would ask you if you think that your 
spirituality is greater than that of this Old Testament prophet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus, in his mighty prayers, praying all night for God to accomplish great things. Paul himself, a great man of prayer, he says, pray for me, he says uh, to those to whom he writes, pray for me that the gospel will have free course. Now think about that. What he's basically saying there is pray that so when I ha- go out on my missionary journey and preach, there won't be hindrances. Now what if somebody had said, well, what if it's God's will for him to have hindrances? But Paul didn't take that into account. Yeah, Paul right. said to those to whom he wrote, pray that the gospel will have free course and that those that oppose me, and he says this in a number of cases, those that oppose me, God will strike them down and make them ineffectual so that my preaching will have great effect. That's not an unspiritual prayer. So um, great question there, Nathan, but we need not always be qualifying our prayer with if God wills, because it is God's will to answer the prayer of his people who are sincere and love him and want him to do great things. Hmm. Andrew, I've got uh, I've got two two questions here. One is uh, one is I guess more more theological. Uh, one is more practical, and I'm going to go with the uh, with the practical one first. Uh, and I just wanted to ask if uh, if you can share a testimony of dramatically answered prayer that uh, that you have experienced. Yes. Um... There are several. Um, I'll tell you one that comes immediately to mind, um, though there have been a number since. Most of you remember um, this thing that happened. Maybe it's vague in your memory since you guys were getting old. It was called sort of the COVID drama and the COVID lockdowns. Do you guys have any recollection of this? Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yes. At the beginning of this, in March, of course, of 2020, the economy was just humming along Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and I'm sure also in Canada, the best in about 50 years. Mm -hmm. There were political decisions made at the time uh, to basically uh, lock down almost all sectors of the economy, including, tragically, uh, such um, unimportant, non-essential. Non-essential. Factors as is even churches, but even important businesses and mm-hmm. so on. And so virtually overnight, we had a 20 to 25 percent unemployment rate. The economy started tanking. And of course, in the major uh, organizations and ministries, this is a time when you can expect donations uh, like those to CCL or Ezra elsewhere to dwindle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to uh, CCL is not going to apply for any PPP money or any such thing. I'm mm-hmm. not criticizing anybody that does. Here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I said, I'm going to be like Gideon. I said, it would be a very easy thing, a very easy thing, Lord, for you during a time of great economic bounty, such in the previous years, <coughs> excuse me, guys, <coughs> economic bounty to send all sorts of um, increased income and donations. That would be perfectly explicable Mm. on the grounds of what's happening in general. I said, but this is what would seem to be very difficult, Lord. It would be very difficult during times when the economy is tanking in such a dramatic way, when there seems to be less money spent and spendable at the time for you to dramatically increase donations during a time when the money supply and people's giving is obviously, and expenditures in general are just... um, nosediving. I said, Lord, show yourself. Well, he did that. I believe that in the tw- uh, 2020 and 21, 
CCL had its best years those two years, better than any previous 10 years combined. Wow. Uh, that's counterintuitive, but it is in line with it is in line with prayer, a very specific prayer for God to do specific things. I'll mention another quickly. This happened several times at our, our my last pastorate, where I at one point preached on prayer every Sunday for I believe a year and a half. I'm not recommend everybody do that, but it's certainly not the worst thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. But a dear friend, a young lady there that got uh, serious thyroid cancer, and uh, this again, this happened in several cases. We said she wasn't like older and not in a position well she's older and it's time to go on to be with the lord that's natural the bible promises that to his saints that we will die one day no she had two little girls very difficult for we got around and said lord we are praying in faith that you're going to heal her of this and sure enough within about a month she was completely healed and that cancer and with serious severe thyroid cancer mm-hmm. has never come back and of course, this happens again and again and again. Mm. Uh, it's remarkable what God does if we pray in faith. Mm. And um, there are numerous examples of that. Um, I'm gonna because this is on my mind. I'm taking over the show, Ryan. Right? I do that occasionally. Oh, we were warned this might happen. <laughs> it might. So, uh, little warning was a friend of mine that was in New England attending a very conservative Presbyterian church, a good church. And a good Bible-believing, not a liberal, but a Bible-believing denomination. He was uh, visiting a church there, and uh, there was a lady in the church, an elderly lady. She had had cancer, and there was a time of prayer for her. She was going through chemotherapy, and there was a time spent in prayer that the Lord would ease her pain during this, and that uh, it would not be as hard on her because it is cancer is painful, and of course, chemotherapy is also very painful. Mm-hmm. He left, and then he said something that chilled me to the bone, Ryan. Nathan, I'll never forget. He says, I agreed with that, and I prayed in faith, and then I left the church, and something struck me. Why is it that everybody there had enough faith to believe that God would comfort her and alleviate her pain, but didn't have enough prayer, didn't have enough faith to believe that God would heal her? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Given a lot of thought to that. It's remarkable how that we can have little minute, small amounts of faith. Well, Lord, I've got a big prayer, but I'm not asking for anything big here. Just if you'll just do something very small. But again and again, the Holy Spirit, uh, 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 Christ chided his disciples for their lack of faith or for their very small faith. Isn't it interesting that no time in the Word of God, in the Old Testament, the Jehovah God, excuse me, in the New Testament, our Lord, ever said to his people that came with sincerity and asked something, oh, don't ask that. That's too difficult for me to answer. I can't do that. No, you need to really scale back your prayer buster. Did he ever say that? Did Jehovah ever say that? Did Jesus ever say that? No. Again and again, they would say, why didn't you ask for more? Why didn't you have more faith? Why were you so small in faith? Uh, toward the end of his life, one of the kings was afraid because, and this is in the Old Testament, uh, one of Israel's enemies was coming in strongly, and he went to one of the prophets and said, I just, I need some help to defeat Israel's enemies. And as a symbolic gesture, uh, the prophet says to him, well, how many arrows do you have there? 
And he says, take those arrows and strike them on the ground, and that will determine the course of your victory. And he took two or three arrows and smote them on the ground. And the prophet said, you fool, you should have struck on the ground again and again and again, and now your victory will only be small. Right. Yeah. So often our prayers are so anorexic and so weak when God invites us to pray very big, expansive prayers, remarkable prayers. I'd like to mention another one because it's close to the heart of you guys, and you actually already experienced it. And some of your listeners might know this, but some might not. Several years ago, when Ezra was really was at a point of growing and needed a location, since then sold, and God's doing even greater things, but at the time needed a particular location, I was talking to Dr. Joe Boot, and I said, Joe, let's not be praying for just something that's adequate. Let's pray for something that is remarkably huge. Hmm. So both Joe and I got on our face and said, Lord, don't give something that is simply adequate would meet our purposes. Do something bigger that we can even imagine. Well, I won't go into the details. You guys, as I'm speaking, are sitting in this remarkable answer to prayer. God did way beyond, way beyond what we were even praying. And of course, that's what Jehovah says to Isaiah, inspired him in Isaiah chapter uh chapter 40 uh he speaks about the fact that and of course this is quoted in the new testament the lord will do more than we can even ask or think so we need to pray big prayers and expect god to do big things he does it all the time if we're willing to pray in faith Hmm. well and andrew you've uh you've hinted at this throughout our discussion i'd love it if you could speak more directly uh to the issue but it's this idea that with persistent prayer, um, God will change our condition. And I know sometimes, again, to our you know reformed ears, we feel that may be kind of antithetical to God's sovereignty. Um, but I wonder if you could speak to that, just that our prayer will actually change things. Yeah, yeah. What's what's going on, like theologically, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we pray? Mm-hmm. Yes, very good question. So um, the Bible is very clear that when we pray and we pray in great faith, uh, we are praying for God to change the status quo. Now mm-hmm. think about that for a minute. Notice that I am not equating prayer with worship or adoration. Those two, two also are vital. No question about that. Uh, But in the Bible, most of the time when the term, in fact, in almost all cases, when the Bible uses the term prayer, it doesn't mean what we mean when we speak of worship or adoration. Those are excellent. We cannot have the Christian life without them. If we lack them, we're failing God. But the Bible means when it refers to prayer. When the Bible talks about praying, it means what we call petitionary prayer, Hmm. prayer for God to change things. Hmm. Uh, for example, this is, <laughs> and I'll get to the theological point in a minute, but this is rooted right in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So as you know, the disciples had seen the Lord praying. Can you, listener, imagine what it would be like to actually watch Jesus Christ pray? Hmm. Imagine that. The Son of God speaking to his Father and praying with great fervency and praying throughout the night. By the way, to say, well, I don't think I really need to pray. What's going to happen is going to happen. Well, if anybody didn't need to pray, it was Jesus Christ who knew God's perfect Mm. will. And yet he spent hours and hours and hours in prayer to his father. And so they come to him. The disciples said, this is amazing. 
Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them a pattern for praying. It's not that we have to pray this identical prayer, but this is a pattern. Well, after there's this statement telling God, God, we recognize who you are, who art in heaven. Father, your name is Hallwood. We recognize you. The very first request, and there are a number of requests, petitions, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, friends, listen to me. That is a prayer for God to change the status quo. Underlying that prayer is the assumption that the world is not what God wants it to be. Now, for some people to say, well, I don't know if I can acknowledge that the, that the world is not what God wants it to be. Well, there must be a sense in which it is because he, <laughs> he commands us to pray that the kingdom of God will come in full force. Mm -hmm. That can only mean that the kingdom has not come in full force. And thus, and therefore needs to change. That very first petition of the Lord's Prayer acknowledges that God does not accept the status quo, and he wants us to pray that he will change the status quo. It is here that people are constantly placing emphasis and thinking about the decretal and secret will of God rather than his covenantal will. His covenantal will is revealed in his word, and his covenant promises, and his statement about what he, what he desires. But it's remarkable how we constantly want to get around his covenant will and his declared propositional statements to try to ferret out behind them exactly what's in God's mind. This is utterly false. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is a theological construction that I really appreciate in the reformational tradition that all of us are committed to, of Kuiper and Herman Dewey Veard and men like that. He says, we, we must always have a three-factor theology and not a two-factor theology. In a two-factor theology, you have God and man. Well, of course, that's true. But in a three-factor, we have God, his word, and man. We cannot sort of get around the word of God. Man cannot get around the word of God to get to God. We can't get around the living word. We pray constantly to the right. Father through Christ. No man comes to the Father but by me. And we can't get around the written word mm -hmm. to try to get to God apart from what he says in his written word. So we don't live in, we know because God's revealed it, but we don't live our lives in terms of trying to ferret out and trying to discern the specific decrees of God. We know they're there. We know God is sovereign and we trust him. No, we pray on account of what God declares in his word, in his covenant word. This means something, and John Frame, the theologian John Frame, says something very powerful. Um, though it is certainly true that God's will is unchangeable, God's declared purpose is certainly changeable. We know that in the Bible again and again. God mm -hmm. will say, I'm going to do something, and it's something, let's say, very drastic, and people pray, and God says, I think I'm going to reverse course. Now people say, well, does that mean that God really changes his mind? Of course, it doesn't mean substantively God changes his mind. But it does mean that God is willing to revise his stated purposes if his people pray. This happens mm -hmm. so, many in the Bi so many times in the Bible. It's amazing anybody would refute it. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing that God says to Jonah, go to ancient Nineveh and tell them in 40 days Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He didn't say, tell them in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But if you repent, then I'll change what I said. Right. And yet, nonetheless, what we're really saying is God is willing to alter his stated, declared purposes, in some cases, if his people fall on their face before him and repent.
This means that inherent in some of God's stated purposes for specific situations, inherent in that is an understanding that God is willing to change course and go back on what he said if his people will cry out to him in prayer. Wow. Does that substantively change the decretal will of God? Of yeah. course not. That, mere, that does, however, show that God is willing to bind himself in covenant to his people. Those are two very different things, and we must constantly keep on our minds God's covenant promises and his covenant purposes and his covenant realities with his people. Oh, that's great. That's very help helpful. Thank you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Andrew, I, uh, I want to uh, appreciate your time. I want to sort to uh, wrap up in uh, back where we began in a way. Uh, part of this, uh, this listener's question was uh, about the why and the how of prayer. And you, you've mentioned you keep a prayer list. Uh, you've got a certain uh, time of day that you've dedicated to prayer. May, for, for those of us and all of us could you use the exhortation, I think, at one time or another uh, to be more diligent in prayer. But uh, how, how do we go about that? What are some, uh, some practical steps that we can take to, to cultivate that discipline? Boy, that's great. Uh, and one of the talks that I give around the country and have given, uh, I believe, a runner before I speak about Daniel, uh, there are some people who really sort of negate the idea of prayer lists because it's not spontaneous. Say, mm. well, somehow prayer is more genuine. It's more sincere if I simply break out in prayer when I need to. Well, that's false. Of course, spontaneous prayer is necessary. We pray throughout the day spontaneously as issues come up. But we read about Daniel in the Word of God who prayed at very stated times. The Bible says that. Right. And it's very good to do that. In fact, I'd like to recommend that if you don't have stated times for prayer, Satan will have definitely have stated times for you not to pray. Mm -hmm. He will make sure that he has stated times for you to avoid prayer. So make it up. Many people pray in the morning. The Bible doesn't say that, though. I mean, in a number of cases, it mentions praying in the morning. Doesn't necessarily require must be then. But when your mind is fresh, get up. You say, well, you know, some people say, and this is so amusing. I'll have people say time to time, my life is so busy. I don't have time for any stated prayer. And yet they spend like 40 minutes a day or an hour and a half on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So the fact is we have time to do what we want to have time to do what our priorities are. So I would get up in the morning and I have an actual prayer. is isn't just a list. It's a book. Uh, it's a book designed for this. And a number of pages in there I have, and I don't have to pray all the pages every day, but I pray some of them virtually every day and kind of jump around in my prayer. So I'm praying for friends and loved ones and some prayers, uh, of course, on there, I pray every single day, but begin by a list and pray. And if somebody says, well, the problem with that is it's easy for prayer simply to become rote and an exercise. That's true. And we constantly must be on our guard for that. Mm -hmm. It's also the problem that if you don't have a list, you won't, you won't pray about everything you should. Because, and this is the key, guys, there are so many things we need to pray about that we can never remember them all. That's right. There are so many things we need to pray about. And if we were, we were joking earlier about memory, weren't we? As we get older, our memory fades. The older we get, if anything, we need a prayer list. Because if we have to rely on only what we can remember, we will never remember enough to pray for all the things we should. Mm. 
So have a prayer list. If something comes to mind, write it down. It's something to pray about. If you go down your list, as I sometimes do, and my mind has been wondering, I say, oh, let me stop, Lord. Let me go back and think about these things and pray from my heart. Those sincere prayers, God answers. But in addition to that, and this is one prayer I pray virtually every day, Lord, help me constantly to return to prayer every day. I knew you had arranged this <coughs> this uh, uh, particular podcast, Ryan. So earlier today, I prayed, Lord, Holy Spirit, please fill me. Give me just the words to say. Sometimes we have to pray right on the spot. Those of us that are ministers, I'll be speaking, for instance, at one of the CCL events or at Runner or the youth leadership, or one of the, the Christ and culture events, or whatever, afterwards, someone will, come, someone will invariably come up and ask advice about something. Well, I don't think I'm smart enough to know the answer to that question. I don't care how smart I think I might be. I pray a very quick prayer. It might be only a sentence or less. Lord, I need wisdom. Give me wisdom for this. Little short prayers. Yeah. It was J.C. Ryle, guys. Most of your, at least many of your listeners have heard of J.C. Ryle, great old-fashioned 19th century Anglican. I recommend his works without reservation. He writes in his long chapter on prayer, he says, it's not just like we pray in the morning. He says, but our prayers throughout the day should go up like hundreds of winged messengers to heaven. I just love that beautiful metaphor. It's as though throughout the day, we are sending up winged messengers all throughout the day, praying scores and scores, and yes, sometimes hundreds of times. We're driving around, and it's a very difficult time. My wife and I were driving recently. We really needed to get into somewhere. Lord, please give us a parking spot. And to somebody who says, well, <laughs> that's actually kind of sacrilegious because you know, God's not terribly interested in giving people parking spots. No, actually, to say that is sacrilegious. That's right. It's to say that there are things that are too small for God to be concerned about. Right. But if God counts the hair on our head, if he knows every sparrow that falls, he's very concerned about every small thing in my life, which is to say, guys, which is to say there is nothing too small to pray about, nothing too small to pray about. Because if all of our lives are governed by God and his providence and his word and his will, then everything is appropriate to prayer. And therefore, we should be praying, even if they are two or three word prayers, we should be praying all the time throughout the day. We'll make decisions. Sometimes, here's a good example, guys. Sometimes it's uh, we have to make decisions, not between things that are sinful and not, often that is too often the case, is it not, but two good things that require a sort of judgment decision. Yeah. Could I buy this car or that car? Well, the Bible doesn't teach that if you buy the wrong car or make a bad investment, that's of itself a sin. There are a lot of times that we make bad judgments that aren't sin. But Lord, please help me to make not just avoid sin, but make good judgment calls. Mm -hmm. How much time should I spend here? How much money should I spend? Lord, show me that. And it's remarkable if we pray, he will do that. Andrew, that's uh, that's a... I've... I've... I feel that is what I guess what, what I uh, what I'm saying. That's a uh, that's an exhortation and a rebuke to me personally. I'm sure to uh, to many others, hmm. brother. We really appreciate you uh, coming on the show this week. Mm -hmm. Such an important conversation. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm just sitting yeah, here listening is, to uh, Andrew, thinking if all of our listeners attended to what Andrew's saying, and we all experienced some improvement in our prayer life. We're we'll, we're going to see some cultural change as a result. Yeah, I really no, believe I, that. I think you're right. We should do we should do one of these you know, 
four or five times a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to do that. And all of you listening to this podcast, here I am, Ryan, taking over the podcast. (laughs) All of you, and I presume the vast majority, at least I hope all of you are trusting in Christ or Christians, believers, and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let me urge you to renew your life of prayer and pray urgently for specific requests in your life, your family, your church, your ministry, but also pray for God to send a great, genuine cultural reformation, revival, Mm -hmm. a great awakening so that all areas of life and thought are brought under the authority Mm -hmm. of King Jesus. Really, that is just to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done in earth as Mm -hmm. it is in heaven. That's what we're really asking to pray for. If we are committed to doing that, God will answer our prayer. He promises to do that. So let me urge all of you listening to do that. Begin doing that today. Hmm. Amen. Amen is right. Andrew Sandlin, thanks again for uh, being with us. Uh, you can, uh, for those of you who are listening, you can get to uh, keep up with uh, with Andrew at his website, DocSandlin.com. Uh, he's got, uh, got many resources available there. Uh, you've got, uh, I think you've got, lectures and uh, other things coming out on your uh, your buzzsprout channel we'll put links to all of those yeah, uh, my, in the description here and, uh, my youtube channel and just do a web search and you'll see a bunch of stuff perfect and you can get uh, uh the book that uh, recent book that to uh, andrew's edited that uh, joe boots got a chapter in several other institute fellows and friends have uh, have contributed to it's called failed church and that's uh, that's available at the Ezra Institute or Ezra Press website. Mm-hmm. And your ministry CCL has been busy as well. We were talking earlier, uh, adding a few new fellows. Did you want to mention anything about that, Andrew? Uh, yeah, we have a number of senior fellows. Of course, Doctor Boot is one. We. Uh, also, uh, I believe someone that's spoken at or is certainly well known hmm. to many of you listening is Dr. Cal Beisner, right? Um, specialist in, in uh, environmental studies and so on. He joined us, uh, known him for many years, joined us as a CCL fellow and uh, noted uh, pastor in uh, Colorado. Also, just joined us, um, Chase Davis. And so, uh, and a number of others. Plus, we have events coming up and a number of publications, one called. Uh, Creational Family should be out uh, to a book, uh, as well as web articles and uh, lectures on iTunes and a bunch of other stuff. So, but please get that book, Failed Church, and get it, buy it from Ezra Press, if you will. Appreciate that uh, that exhortation. Well, Andrew, uh, may God bless you and uh, your dear wife Sharon richly, and I hope that uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Mm-hmm. Let's plan it. God bless you guys. 